I wanted to talk this morning about what it's like when everything just seems to go wrong, when everything just seems to dry up, shall we say, and uh, to be able to uh, carry on in faith. Now, in 1 Kings chapter 18 is the amazing story of calling down fire from heaven, how the 450 prophets of Baal were challenged by the prophet Elijah to basically say, do you want to uh, prove who God is? And uh, so the proof came down in fire for six hours. The prophets of Baal did everything they possibly could to, to bring down fire from heaven, uh, even cutting themselves. And it's interesting that Baal is the god of fire. <laughs> But he couldn't produce fire at that point because God was restricting him. And then, of course, Elijah said, uh, go ahead and bring uh, four barrels of water and pour it on the sacrifice. Then he said, bring four more barrels of water. Then the third time, bring four more barrels of water. And he had made a trench around the altar it was completely filled with water. And then he prayed a very short prayer. He basically said, God, prove yourself to be God like you've told me you would in answering fire. Fire fell from heaven, burned up the sacrifice, even lapped up the water out of the trench. <laughs> when, when the Israelites saw it, they said, wow. He's the God that we should, should be worshiping, which is what Elijah was trying to prove to them. They'd been worshiping Baal and, and, and uh, making sacrifices to him. And that was an amazing uh, accomplishment, a fantastic um, showing of God's power. But interestingly enough, the previous chapter introduces us to Elijah. He's not mentioned before. But in verse 1 of chapter 17, read along with me, the first four verses, says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, of course, that was King Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Now, for there to be a fantastic uh, showing of God's power in chapter 18, there needed to be, first of all, an evidence of Elijah's faith in chapter 17. And so many times the same thing is true for us today. <clears throat> we love to, to, to see pictures of God providing in a fantastic way. We love to be able to, to say, boy, God did this and God did that and God answered prayer, etc., etc. But before those things can happen, we have to grow in our faith. 
That's the hard part. To grow in our faith. And there are several things that usually are involved to grow your faith. The first one is found in these first four verses that we just read. And I would call it uh, to be under God's rulership. Under God's rulership. We see that Jehovah was Elijah's God. And then he said, before whom I stand. Now, in the margin of your Bible, write, God runs my life. That's what he was saying. God runs my life. That's an amazing statement. It should be a statement that all of us can make. It should be a statement that, that, that we are able to say, God runs every aspect of my life. You remember Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. In all your ways acknowledge him basically means whatever decision comes up, that we acknowledge, Lord, you're right here. You're my companion. But I want to make sure that you're in control. You see, we're, we're kind of control freaks most of the time. And God wants us to become trusting freaks. Where God's in control and we're trusting the one who is in control. And so as a result of that, we're able to say, God runs my life. It's kind of like the part of the prayer of the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. When I go through the Lord's Prayer as part of my uh, prayer ritual, as I spend time with the Lord in prayer, I come to that part, and that simply reminds me that God doesn't need my advisement. No angel in heaven ever comes into God's presence and says, now, God, if you change this, and if you do this, and if you stop doing that, no angel ever does that. God doesn't need advisement. So if that's how God's will is being done in heaven, then that's how God's will should be done on the earth. So when I say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it's done in heaven, I'm basically telling God, I'm submitted to your control. You run my life, and I will be under your rulership. Now, when, when God sends a drought, we have to be under his rulership to respond in faith and obedience. That's exactly what God was sending in chapter 17. He said to Elijah, <clears throat> go tell King Ahab, that for years, I'm not going to send any rain or dew. And there's going to be a tremendous drought. Now, how would Elijah respond to that? You see, this was a drought that would affect all of Israel. It was a drought that would affect everybody involved, except Elijah. Now, God told Elijah, go hide yourself before the brook Cherith. 
Go hide yourself. You see, so many times <clears throat> for us to be great men of faith, great women of faith, great young, great young people of faith, like we want to be in chapter 18, we have to hide ourselves. We have to spend time alone with God. It's kind of like Saul of Tarsus, after he was saved, he spent three years in the wilderness. And then after that period of time, came out of hiding, so to speak, and his name was changed from Saul to Paul and became a tremendous witness for the Lord. But before any of that could happen, Saul had to hide himself. I guess my question is, are we willing to hide ourselves alone with God, to be alone with him in such a way that he is able to shape my thinking, to shape my perspectives. You see, it says in the first part of chapter 17, go hide yourself. And then in verse one of chapter 18, he says, go show yourself unto Ahab. Now we like the showing ourselves. We like the idea of, of being able to say this and that and kind of uh, telling folks what, what's going to be happening. We like that part of our life. So many times we don't necessarily like the hiding ourselves part because well, it takes time. We're just not sure anything's happening, but it is. Getting alone with God. In prayer, And that's why your daily devotions are so vitally important. And that's why Satan fights your schedule. He fights everything about you to keep you from having time alone in his word with God. Because he knows that's the source of your power. Now, it's interesting to me that God didn't show Elijah the entire game plan, so to speak. In other words, he, he showed him one step at a time what was going to be happening. He said, first of all, go hide yourself by the brook Cherith. I've sent ravens every day to feed you, and the brook will give you water. And Elijah could have said, uh, so what happens after that? God says, you trust me. And the same thing is true for us today, isn't it? So many times we don't know what tomorrow will bring. Things can change so quickly, like the home going of my wife, Ruth. In 10 weeks, she's with the Lord. Things change so quickly. God doesn't necessarily show us his game plan for us for the entire period of time. But he simply says, this is the next step. Notice how he said to Elijah, I will feed thee there. There. In other words, when you're under his rulership, you'll go where he sends you and stay as long as he wants you as long as he directs you. See, God promises always to hear our prayers, but never our demands. 
And so many times we kind of get into the demanding mode with the Lord. And we simply say, but God, this is what I thought would happen. And this is what I think is best. And, and we begin to advise God that goes contrary to the Lord's prayer. And so God told Elijah, I will feed you there. Now, it's interesting to me, the expression, the word of the Lord is found six times in this one chapter. It's in verse 2, 5, 8, 14, 16, and 24. You kind of get the idea that your time in the word will determine your attitude during the droughts of your life. When things are drying up, when things aren't going the way you want them to go, when you fail a class or a test or a relationship is broken, whatever it is, that's not the way we had it planned. The question is, are we submissive to God's will? Are we under his rulership? Under his rulership. To be able to say, Lord, whatever your plan, I'm fine. I've just finished reading a book by Shelley Hamilton. That's Ron Hamilton's wife, Patch the Pirate. And she is describing the mental illness that their son Jonathan experienced for 11 years came on very suddenly. He went from a very vibrant Christian soul winner, great uh, uh, servant of the Lord to everything changing and, and, and just horrible uh, changes in his mind and medications, et cetera, et cetera, for 11 years. And in her book, she describes the battle that she and Ron went through to accept what was going on. They did everything they possibly could. They, could they, they, they were in contact with so many doctors and counselors, et cetera, et cetera. But finally just had to say, Lord, Jonathan is in your hands. He's in your hands because there are things sometimes that we don't understand. It's kind of like when James was, uh, was killed in the book of Acts and then Peter was arrested. Do you remember the story? Church gathered together to, to pray for his release from prison and God sent an angel and, and the angel released Peter from prison have you ever wondered what James' relatives thought about Peter's release? Have you ever wondered if they didn't say, why couldn't that have happened to our loved one? Why didn't God answer prayer and spare his life? You know, so many times our problem is we compare ourselves with other people's stories, but God has an individual plan 
for our life personally. It's kind of like the last chapter of the book of John when Jesus was talking to his disciples right at the end. And, uh, and, and he was talking to, to, um, to, to John about the end of his life. And, and, and Peter said, well, Lord, what about me? And Jesus responded, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. He basically was telling Peter, look, I have a will for John's life that's different than my will for your life. The same thing is true for each one of us. God may answer some of our prayers with healing, but God may answer some of our prayers with total healing of taking our loved one home to be with the Lord. We have to be okay with that. We have to be under his rulership. That's what I've been learning the last several months, to be under God's rulership, to be under his control <clears throat> of our life and our family and his plan. Now, once we are under his rulership, then it gets trickier because then we come to the very unusual resources, unusual resources. Let's pick up by reading verses five and six. First Kings chapter 17, verse five. And so he went and did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. So when he obeyed God and went to the brook Cherith, where God said that he would provide for him there, God did exactly what he promised. Now, now had he not obeyed God and gone there, no provision would have been applied. You see, we have to be open to God changing things in our lives. God is the God of change. And if you leave God's will or refuse to follow his will, the same thing will be true. God will not provide for you if you aren't where he wants you to be. I well remember my first years in the ministry, I was an assistant pastor in Gainesville, Florida, <clears throat> and um, thought that that was going to be God's plan for my life, for my entire ministry. I got a master's degree in Christian education, so I was going to be a music pastor, Christian education uh, pastor, uh, and youth pastor, and uh, went to a church thinking that that would be what I would do. But during those first two years, everything boomed. Our ministry grew from 200 to 800 in two years. I mean, everything was just going. I mean, it was just, just blossoming. It was amazing. At the end of the day, I kind of felt like, hmm, Lord, is, is this it? Is, is this all you have in mind? I well remember then as I was struggling with that, that uh, I took a trip with our senior pastor and uh, 
I began to describe to him what I was going through. And he said, have you ever thought maybe God might want you to be a senior pastor? And I said, uh, no, no, no. And then he said, well, are you willing to be a senior pastor? And I said, mm, not really. And then he said, are you willing to pray about being a senior pastor? I said, not really. And then he said something I'll never forget. He said, then stay miserable. Now, now, great, you're real help. And then he said this, if there's something in your life that you're unwilling to pray about, you ought to be miserable. Wow. So, that's where he left me. We got back to the church. And I had a counseling appointment at the office that evening. Meanwhile, he was in the auditorium teaching people how to sing solos. So after my counseling appointment was over, I was walking through the auditorium uh, to go across the street to the home that we were renting. And he said, uh, Pastor Greg, uh, grab, a, grab a songbook and, and stand up there in the pulpit and just sing a, a solo for us and just kind of let, let the folks watch you. And I said, well, okay. So I grabbed a songbook, just kind of flopped it open and began to sing the song that flopped open. The words were not what I wish to be, nor where I wish to go. For who am I that I should choose my way? The Lord shall choose for me. It's his better far I know. So let him bid me go or stay. When I got done singing the song, the pastor was sitting in the front row and he's just smiling. He said, uh, Pastor Greg, did you pick out that song? I said, no, sir. I just flopped it open. And he said, mm-hmm. I said, I hate you. <laughs> he laughed <laughs> because he knew our conversation was continuing. If I'm not willing to pray about something, I ought to stay miserable. And so finally, God got a hold of my heart. And I said, okay, God, I will pray about something. I don't want to do it. But if that's your next leg of my journey, I guess I ought to be willing to pray about it. And I'm here to tell you that that was one of the greatest decisions I ever made in my life. We went on to start Circle Baptist Church and Academy in Albany, Georgia, spent 15 wonderful years there. <clears throat> and God blessed in a fantastic way. None of that would have happened had I been unwilling to make a change. Unwilling to allow God to make a U-turn, so to speak. Unwilling to allow God to use unsure resources unusual resources, because that's exactly what starting a church would be. And that's what we eventually did. We had no supporters. We had no church supporting us. We had no individuals supporting us. We just moved to Albany, Georgia with two babies, 15 months old and one month old, and started a church from scratch. I canvassed 12,000 homes door to door.
with no promised income. You see, that was the there for my life. God told Elijah, I will feed thee there. Now, I wonder if, if Elijah worried daily whether or not the birds would come. What if he woke up every morning thinking, what if these birds are going to come back again in the evening? And they came this morning, but, you know, it's highly unusual for ravens to bring food. In fact, it's never happened before. I wonder if he worried about that or <clears throat> if he just took God at his word. Remember, we said six times it said the word of the Lord. And when God is trying to get you to the point where he's using unusual resources to meet your needs, God says, trust me. See, the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God has not given us a spirit of fear. So consequently, if you have the spirit of fear, it didn't come from God because he has given you the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. He has promised that to you. And so consequently, any fears that we may have, they don't come from God. We may fear Lord, how is this church going to grow with this pandemic and, and Zoom and, and everything else? Lord, this is not the way I thought a church would, would be started. And, and definitely, it is the most difficult way for a church to get planted. But God doesn't want us to fear. God wants us to walk by faith. I have a plaque above my bed that says, Faith is not believing that God can. It is knowing that he will. Knowing that he will. And so consequently, Elijah had to learn that God would meet his needs there with the unusual resources. Now, there's one more step of faith that God wanted Elijah to learn. And that was unsure resources. Unsure resources. That simply meant that when the circumstances of our life changes, God's still in control. Let's pick up with verse 7. Notice verse 7, it says, And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thy hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, 
I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, a little oil in a cruise. Behold, I'm gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me therefore a little cake first and bring it unto me. And after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord, there it is again, God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the crucible oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. In the margin of my Bible, the many days means a full year. <clears throat> And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. So now we see unsure resources. The brook dried up. Now, have you ever wondered, why does God allow that to happen to folks who are faithfully serving God? who are giving God everything, who are under God's rulership, but yet the brook dries up. See, the Lord has not left us here just to make a living. He left us here to make a difference. And often you're able to make a difference as the outside watching world is looking at all your circumstances and going, oh, Ooh, how they how they gonna work that out? How are they gonna live through that? Unsure resources are often God's plan to prove himself to be God, not only to you, but to the watching world. Now, why do our resources, or maybe those of our church, become unsure? When God has promised to meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory. That's Philippians 4.9. So God has promised to meet our needs. Or remember Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Talking about all the things that we need. See, these are promises. But so many times the promises are fulfilled in what I call LMDs, last minute deliverances. God is basically going to make a change. He's going to meet the need at the last minute. Remember when we started a church in Albany, Georgia in 1972, I decided that <clears throat> I would try to uh, get the church up and running and uh, just ask God to somehow meet our needs. I didn't know that you should go out and raise support. I didn't know you should write letters to people. I, I had no clue how to do anything like that. And so I didn't. So we just went to Albany and I just started looking for places, first of all, to meet. I checked out 125 places to meet. Finally, 
God led me to the Hotel Gordon. And the manager of the Hotel Gordon said that his brother had tried to start a church several years ago. And he told him the hardest thing to do was to find a place to meet. And I said, yeah, I've checked out 125 places. Either they're unavailable or they're much, much too expensive. But the Lord has just led me to come talk to you. And he said, well, you do realize that it would cost me $25 a week just to pay the guys to come in Saturday night after the banquets and, and, and uh, turn it over and make all the changes for a church service. And, and then uh, on Monday morning, come back in and, and uh, set everything up for the, the Monday noon meal. It cost me $25 a week just to pay them to do that. And I said, yes, sir, I understand that. And he said, do you think you could afford, he thought for a minute, he said, think you could afford $25 a week? I said, well, let me pray about it. Yes, sir, I believe we could. And so we got a beautiful ballroom, chandeliers, carpet, tables for Sunday school classes, podium, PA system, piano, everything we needed, plus two other rooms that we could use for a nursery and a children's Sunday school class for $25 a week. But then after about four months, our brook dried up. And he said, you're going to have to find another place to meet. Your singing is causing the rest of the people in the hotel here to, to be awakened before they want to be. And so it's not working. You're going to have to find another place to meet. Our brook dried up. Now, what do you do then? What do you do then? I told the folks what had happened. I shared this passage of scripture. I said, we have two weeks to find another place. Immediately after the service was over, two of our men came to us and said, we both work for the, the uh, Southern Bell Telephone Company, and we just finished building a building, Communication Workers of America, the CWA building. We're only going to be using it the fourth Thursday night of every month. Do you want us to check? to see if we can rent it for the rest of the time for our church. I said, oh, that'd be awesome. That's exactly what happened. They charged us $30 a week, but we were able to use it on Sunday night and Wednesday night, revival services, as long as it didn't conflict with the fourth Thursday night of every month. Again, unsure resources, but God was working in mysterious ways. We finally reached the point <clears throat> that we had a bill that was $319 for the church. The day came that it was due. I didn't have $319. I went to the mailbox, no check in the mailbox. So I went back in and I put on a suit and tie and told Ruth, I said, I'm going to go talk to the folks that we owe the money to and tell them I'm going to go ahead and See if I can find a job and they'll be the first folks paid. So I'm driving to that location. I'm sitting in my car right on, on Broad Avenue, right beside the main post office where I had just opened up a post office box for the church a week before. And uh, God says, why don't you check your post office box? I thought, Lord, 
There's no sense in doing that. Nobody even knows we have a post office box. Well, why don't you go ahead and check it anyway? Have you ever argued with God? <laughs> Doesn't work. So finally, I just pulled in. I ran up the steps, opened the door. Box 523 was right in front of me. I glanced at it. I turned around to walk out, and I thought, whoa, there seems to be something in that box. There's a little window, and I could see a letter. I opened the box. It was a letter from friends of friends of ours who were attending Ohio State University for their master's degree. And they said, we heard you had started a church there in Albany. We haven't been able to find a church yet in our area. So we just thought we'd send our tithe to you. <clears throat> now, the bill was $319. The check was for $323. Last minute deliverance. So I went, cashed the check, paid the bill. We had $4 left. I went back and got Ruth and two boys and we went to McDonald's and blew it. Four bucks for our meal. But you see, God was teaching us something with an LMD. And so many times that's the way God works. God will try to teach you something in the last minute. And so when your brook dries up, when your plan stops working, the question is, are you listening to the word of the Lord? Because unsure resources are used by God to accomplish his glory. First of all, it proves God to be God. It proves God to be God. He sent him to Zidon. We see that in verse 9. Now, according to chapter 16 and verse 31, that was the very home of Queen Jezebel. That was the center of Baal worship for all of Israel. And God sent him there. And he said, I want you to have a ministry there. Because he loves to use unsure resources as a testimony of his resources to a watching world. And so all of Israel was in a tremendous famine, not enough water, not enough to eat. We can see that the widow was making her last meal, and then she said, we're going to die. And this is the center of Baal worship. But God wanted to prove himself to be God to the Baal worshiper. Secondly, he wanted to test Elijah's faith a little bit further. God always wants to test us. And so he gives us the next spiritual step. And he says, will you trust me? <clears throat> will you trust me? You see, would he worry and complain about the, 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 the brook that dried up? Remember this, regardless of what I'm going through, I'm going through. You remember that? Regardless of what you're going through, you're going through. So the question is, would he stay there by the brook Cherith where the brook is dried up? Or would he go to Zarephath, which was a 75-mile trip across a desert, and let a Gentile woman supply for him as God had said? You see, God wanted to test his faith. And then thirdly, 
God wanted to lead him to a wider ministry, a wider ministry. First of all, to the widow and her son. But the Bible tells us that <clears throat> as the entire area was worshiping Baal, they were watching this widow woman and her son and Elijah. And instead of starving, their meal just continued to multiply. The oil continued to multiply. And God began to use unsure resources to reach an unsaved crowd. Interestingly enough, the woman says in verse 12, thy God. But at the end of the chapter, she says, my God. She now believes in God. She says, Elijah, now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. She has gone from talking about God to believing in God. And so many times God wants to use your unsure resources, the plans that don't work out, for the watching world to be able to see that God is in control. See, prior to this time, it wasn't that she was unwilling. She was just unable to believe that God could do anything like this. I guess my question is, is my faith leading others to the God who makes them able to see God at work in their lives? Is my faith leading other people to begin to realize God can do a work in their life like he's doing a work in my life. See, she went from fear, I'm going to eat it and die, to faith in God's word. She went from living for self to putting God first. To lead Elijah to a wider ministry. So whatever you and I are going through, God is simply saying, what ministry do I want you to have? Because God will always give you a ministry out of your misery. It's one of his principles. God will give you a ministry out of your misery. And just as Shelley Hamilton has written a book on dealing with mental illness and, and the issues involved there, God is now giving her a ministry through that book out of their misery. Years ago, when Ruth and I went to Tennessee Temple College in Chattanooga, Tennessee, they had a camp that went all summer long, and they had thousands of children they would come from the city of Chattanooga and the surrounding area and come to camp for a week at a time free of charge. Because all year long, Highland Park Baptist Church was raising funds to send these kids to camp. How did all that start? When Dr. and Mrs. Robertson lost a baby girl named Joy when she passed away. Baby girl. As a result of that, <clears throat> God moved upon their heart to start a ministry for children called Camp Joy, right outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. God will give you a ministry out of your misery. 
but you have to stop complaining. You have to, have to stop whining. You have to stop doubting. And you have to come to the point of saying, okay, I'm under your rulership. Whatever you do, whatever you want, however you want to work it, I'm okay. And when the watching world sees that kind of faith, they will be attracted to Jesus. And that's why God left us here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.